0: This morning, everybody should be really well-rested. Um, this whole extra hour that just dropped from the sky. I thought this morning how cool it would be to just have one more hour. If only I could have one more hour, this sermon would be tight. I was joking. We had that hour, so I don't know if there is such a thing as a tight sermon. Not with me, anyway. It's, it feels like it's bubblegum and shoestrings, but... I think we have a really simple passage, which will be a really, uh, I think, a treat for us this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, I want to welcome you. Uh, I think Clint's already done that, but I want to make the point to uh, uh, welcome you again. I want to just tell you that I, I appreciate, we appreciate you sharing your morning with us. If you're visiting with a friend or a family member this morning, and this is your first Sunday, we are just, um, we're glad you're here. Uh, we'll tell you right up front, we're not the best church in town. I don't know if there is such a thing because all churches are different, and we want to be the best at what God's called us to be. So, um, if this is your one visit with us, if you're looking for something different, and over the course of your time with us, you find that this is not uh, ideal for you, man, hear it from right here. That's okay. And we celebrate your continued search and the eventual or the hope of an eventual landing somewhere because we believe with everything in us that uh, being part of a local church matters. so if this is our one opportunity with you, hear that from us this morning, that we're cheering for you to land somewhere, to be a meaningful part of a local body of believers. And there's some great churches in our community. So uh, you really have a lot of opportunities here in our community. So, But your visiting with us this morning is cherished and treasured. Um, we're not going to work real hard to convince you this is the place that you're supposed to be um, because we're not convinced of that. But we are convinced that you're supposed to be here right now. Okay, we're convinced of an ordained appointment, a divine appointment, that you're here this morning. So I'm convinced before I even pray this morning that you're supposed to be here and you're supposed to hear what we're going to consider in these next few minutes. Uh, I'm going to pray, but first let me just uh, see if I can kind of gather everybody up into where we are in the story. We're in the Book of Ephesians. Um, It is a letter written by Paul to a church that he started. Uh, he's not with them at the time that he's writing this letter. He's writing a letter to them. Really, the first three chapters are about what Christ has done for them. Okay. Vertically and horizontally. He's united them to Christ and hence to God. And he has also united Jew and Gentile that the gospel is that scandalously great. The first three chapters, that's what it's about. And then the next four chapters are about how we should respond what Christian folk should look like in our homes, in our lives, in our churches, what they should look like in response to what God has done. And we're in the last half of that. We're in the chapter 4 to 6 section right now. So everything that we say today is predicated on what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ. That's foundational. And we're going to land the morning with the Lord's Supper, which is a fitting place to land. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about a fitting response to what Christ has done, and specifically we 're talking about how that plays out in the home we 're in a passage of scripture in uh, the book of uh, in Ephesians chapter five that 's called the Household Code where Paul is addressing different uh, people within the home and giving them sort of an insight into how what 's a fitting response for them in light of what Christ has done so I, I think it 's a um, Uh, Whatever your motivation for being here this morning, I think if you live in a home, then this is a fitting morning for you to be here. So um, let me pray and we'll climb into our passage. God, we are thankful uh, for these few minutes that we have together, Lord. Before we pray, before I pray about some specifics of how we spend these few minutes, I want to pray for another local church. I want to pray for Mineral Heights Baptist Church and for Mike and Sarah Pisney. Lord, I want to uh, lift up Mike. I pray for Mike's uh, worship, Lord, just uh, straight away making a beeline to his worship, uh, that he is enjoying you, that he is uh, delighted in the gospel, that he is uh, walking with the Holy Spirit, that he is renewed and refreshed as he's studying your word and likely spending most of that time preparing other people, uh, preparing to equip other people in that word, that he is being fed and nourished as well. And Lord, I pray that that's spilling out and over and onto his home and into his home so that he and his wife, uh, in front of their family, in front of their friends, and in front of their church, can put the gospel on display of how a man treats his wife as a beautiful picture of how Christ loves and cherishes the church. And how his wife follows him and um, follows his lead, Lord, to be a beautiful picture of uh, the relationship between the church and Christ. Lord, I. I pray that for Mike and Sarah. I pray that for Mineral Heights Baptist Church as well, that they have a front row seat to that. And that they together as a church family are walking in those realities. I pray that you would guard Mike from doing a J-O-B. And just showing up and just talking about you a little bit and just surviving. Lord, I pray for Mike that he would flourish in faith and worship. And that it would bless Mineral Heights Baptist Church as he teaches and preaches and pastors the church there. Lord, in whatever way that we can come alongside Mineral Heights, Lord, I pray that we can, um, will be attentive to that. Maybe it's some folks we may live by or work with that we can encourage to be all in, to be engaged, to be attentive, to be um, connected, to know and be known. Lord, I pray that uh, if it's in an unofficial way, in a daily way like that, we will recognize those divine appointments. Lord, if it's just today, to lift them up in prayer. Lord, we count that a big thing and we count that a sweet privilege. Lord, in regards to how we spend these next few minutes, Lord, I pray that you will be great. I pray that you will be at work. I thank you in advance that the Holy Spirit will speak to hearts and minds. I'm thankful that our motivation this morning is an empty tomb and that makes this worthwhile, both in the preaching and the hearing and the heeding. Lord, I'm thankful that our Lord is seated and reigning and ruling and in session right now, and you are placing all things in subjection under his feet. We pray that we'll be some of those all things this morning, that you will uh, equip us to walk faithfully under your leadership. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to give a special welcome this morning. I was saving this for after my prayer time to our kids. The last Sunday of the month, we have our kids in worship with us, or I should say our smallest I can't even say that. Our babies are all over there. But our kindergartners and pre kindergartners are, are in with us on the last Sunday of the month, which was last Sunday. And some of the parents might feel like, hey, this was a curveball. I didn't expect this again two weeks in a row. Um, well, it, this is on purpose that we're doing this this morning because the sermon is for children. And we thought it an especially appropriate morning to have our kids back in with us. So I want to welcome our kids this morning. Do we have some kids in here? Yeah, are the Katie? There's a one. Oh, there's a hand in the back. There any over here? There's a couple hands. Good. I I, good. I'm glad because this I prepared something for y'all. I mean, I really did. I'm 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 not. You know, sometimes we might kind of uh, say that, and then somebody starts talking, and oh hey, see (laughs) you. See see ya. Good. Awesome. Uh, You might think that that. Uh, You might say something like that, but then in the next few minutes, as it unfolds, you realize it wasn't for you at all. Okay, this really is for you. Okay, it's especially for you, kids. So I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you in these next few minutes to do your very best to listen. Okay, I know there's going to be some stuff that you may not understand. Okay, I totally get that. But I bet your parents are going to try and help you with that. And I bet that the Holy Spirit is going to help you with that. So I trust that. So I want to encourage kids to really do your best in these next few minutes. Uh, Do your best to listen. Maybe take some notes and maybe uh, draw some pictures. Do what you can to listen. I'm going to have some stuff up on some slides to help a little bit. I don't have pictures. I thought about that as I'm sitting right here. That might have been cool. But I I don't have pictures. But I do have some words. Okay. The... um, Kind of my reference for where I'm going this morning, you can turn to Ephesians chapter six. I should should give you a scriptural reference before we climb in. You know, in the military, you start each morning with formation. A big part of that formation is first of all figuring out who's there. Are the, are people, do they show up? Are they in the Navy and Marine Corps, you call it UA, the unauthorized absence in the Army, I think you call it AWAL. Are they even here? Uh, part of what happens, though, is when, once we account for everybody in a formation, there's, there's some instructions that are given for the course of the day. In some ways, some marching orders. Um, kind of the way it unfolds is the officers show out, there, show up out there once everybody's already out there, and the officers salute some people, and then they smartly walk back to their office and drink coffee and look important. And then the enlisted guys really get the work done, and the senior enlisted guys give the instructions over the course of the day or for the day uh, sort of the marching orders, like the staff NCO or the platoon sergeant or staff sergeant, and in some ways, I'm sort of looking at Paul like um, a platoon sergeant here or a staff sergeant, like he's speaking to uh, speaking to his troops and giving some marching orders. But instead of a bunch of troops or soldiers that are standing there, it's families. It's kind of funny to imagine a bunch of families out there in formation. You know, Dad's standing there in parade rest, and he's looking around like I wish the kids would get in an order. And mom's trying to chase the kids and get them sorted and standing at parade rest or some manner of attention. And uh, here Paul is speaking to each of these members of the family. And here's how kind of, on kind of how it's unfolded so far as he's addressing the members of the family. First, he addressed Wives. And he said to wives in this formation, he said, Wives, in light of what Christ has done for you, submit to and respect your husbands. That's the marching order. It's simple. Not easy, but simple. Respect uh, and submit to your husbands. The next one is uh, to the husbands, the next address. Husbands, in light of what Christ has done, in light of his fine and complete work, love your wives like Christ loves us sacrificially, and relentlessly. Simple, not easy. And then he turns to children here in chapter 6. Let's see what Paul has to say and what God, through Paul, has to say to kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Let me just sort of... In about three minutes, unpack sort of the anatomy of this passage. And then I'm going to give you a plan for the morning of how we're going to spend our morning. First of all, there's an address. Okay, The children are addressed. Okay. Second of all, there's a command. And the command, in this case, is obey your parents. There's been three commands so far. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Children, obey. There are three imperatives in this household code passage so far. Wives submit, husbands love, and children obey. So there's the command. And then there's a, a reference to one of the commandments. It's the fifth commandment. It, uh, this, this commandment or the reference here made the top ten. Okay, that's pretty important of, of the uh, commandments that were given to Moses on Sinai. Okay, so um, our, my plan for the morning is to first of all consider the address, to spend some time talking about who's addressed specifically in regards to children. And the fact that they are addressed. And then I want to consider um, after the address is the command. Okay, and then I'm going to consider three reasons that come from this passage. Three reasons that the command should be obeyed. And then last, as we lead into our Lord's Supper, I want to consider the motivation. Why a kid should want to obey or a child should want to obey. Okay, Let's start with, first of all with the address to children. I think it's important to recognize that children are addressed here, not their parents. Over the years, we've been asked, um, do you guys have a children's church? And, you know, early on in the life of Crosspoint, we actually did. And I, I can't remember how long we had that, maybe a couple of years where um, we would sing together, corporate worship together, and then we would send the kids out, and they would go off to a separate uh, little place and over in the, the treehouse, or what, what's now called the youth building, and they would have a, a, a little church service. Well, over time, we began to be more and more convicted that our children should be in here with us. Now, the littlest ones, the ones that maybe are younger than pre-K, that might be a lot to expect. But over time, we became more and more convicted that as much as possible, and then at least one Sunday a month, we wanted to have the kindergartners and preschoolers in with us. And I think this is a beautiful passage that sort of supports that whole notion. Because the children here are addressed. I mean, don't, don't miss that. A guy that started the church some years earlier is writing a letter to his church that he started. And he's writing a letter, and that letter likely would have been read in a corporate worship gathering in someone's home, maybe, uh, where that, that letter's read and sort of discussed and explained, and apparently children are there. Apparently children are there, and not only are they there, they are actually addressed. I mean, Think about that for a minute. It made me think... Of one of my favorite stories in the Book of Acts, I, I'll just share the story with you. If you'd like to turn over there, you can, but I'm not really going to give you any time to get over there because it's not necessary that you actually see the passage. You can just listen. It's in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. Okay, this is Paul um, uh, in um, speaking to it in a church setting. This would have been a context where Paul is actually in the flesh doing what's later being done as someone's reading his letter. Okay. On the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread, and Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. I've been accused of long sermons before, but never till midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus. My favorite little young man in the Bible. Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. <laughs> and it says, As Paul talked still longer. Isn't that funny? I just love the language of that. As Paul talks still longer, Eutychus uh, get, falls asleep. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him into his arms, he said, Do not be alarmed. For his life is in him, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. Now that's a serious worship service right there until daybreak, and they took the youth away, Uticus away, alive, and were not a little comforted. Isn't that cool, Uticus? When you first read about him, he's described as a young man, but later on he's described as a youth, and I think it's a great picture of a guy that's in a corporate worship service. He's in a place where the Bible is taught or explained, and both taught and explained, and he's accountable. Now, in this case, he's a sleepyhead and fell asleep, but he is there. He is there. I see some adults that look like Eutychus from time to time, but in this case, he is there, and he apparently, as this passage addresses, is accountable. This appears to be something that's sort of unique to Christianity. See, the Roman context, they wouldn't have had this instruction given to children. If this was in the Roman context, it would have read something like this. See to it, fathers, to be very specific, that your children obey their parents, for this is right. Children wouldn't have been addressed in a Roman context, but in a Christian context, children are addressed. It's debatable whether or not they would have even been addressed in a Jewish context. But here in the Christian context, when people wonder, why don't you have a place for all these children because they're so noisy? I can't pay attention to the sermon. Well, because the sermon's for them too. That's why I care about silence and peace, but I care more about little hearts and little plots of soil that need to hear the preached word. It's a Christian thing. This is addressed to them, and they are accountable for what's being taught and communicated. Now, I thought maybe over the course of the morning that I would um, do a little bit of what Paul's doing in formation addressing troops. So let me address some parents here briefly with a thought, okay? Parents, I want to encourage you to expect more of your children when it comes to the sermons, Instead of considering this time each week as just something that's survivable, maybe you could actually have a plan. Expect them, first of all, to be able to discuss it over lunch. Parents, let's start right there. Do you discuss it over lunch? If you do, then what a great opportunity for you to invite them into the conversation. Maybe help them learn the skill of note-taking. I know some of y'all, some of the parents have actually got notebooks for their kids. Some of the parents have actually even held out a little carrot for their kids like a little treat and a little blessing if they learn how to do something, these little milestones. There's nothing wrong with that. You can cultivate in kids some really great things. Give them a bag of M&M's if they they have some good notes that week or whatever. My dad taught me lots of scripture with M&M's. Maybe encourage them to draw some pictures if they're especially young. But expect them to engage. Inspect them to hear. Teach them to listen By expecting them to listen first, you've got to start right there. If you're not expecting them to, they won't do it because even Eutychus needs to hear and learn. Children, just talk to parents. Let me talk to children. God has some instructions and some orders and some commands for you also. He has them for you weekly. Now, there's a special case today where they're especially for you today, so do your very best. To listen now for youth and young adults. So far, you might have been thinking, "Man, why did I come today? I could have gotten a walk today. This this was just for kids and maybe for parents to help them obey and all." But you know, I, not the children is not speaking to me. Let me just address this for our youth and our young adults. Uh, in case you've been wondering why you're here today, I'm going to call it a divine appointment because the word children didn't speak to age. In this reference, it, it deals specifically with sort of this relationship of a, a, a young person that's still at home. Okay, it's less about age and more about progeny and offspring. It's dealing here with people who are still living under their parents' roofs, with, people, with young people who are still eating what mom cooks. If you're trying to figure out if this message is for you, here's some good qualifiers. If, if you still live under your parents' roof, if you eat what mom cooks, if you breathed in conditioned air this morning when you woke, it's not hot enough, not cold enough for, for warm, warmed air, but conditioned air maybe. Um, if you're wearing clothes that were washed in a washing machine that is owned by your parents. <laughs> you might still be living at home. Um, uh, yeah, if, if, if you're, this is what I have in my notes. I just thought it's too good. I got to share it with you. If you're breathing in conditioned air and heated air, if you're wearing clothes that are washed in a washing machine that's electrified by electricity purchased by your parents, <laughs> you might still be uh, accountable for this sermon. In case you thought this was for the little ones, you too are the children that are addressed in this passage. I understand if you bristle with that notion, but it's less about age and more about progeny and offspring and whether you're still under your parents' house. God has some orders and instructions for you today as well, young adults, youth, young people who are still living at home, so do your very best to listen. Now let's deal with the command. The word obey here. Here's the command, obey your parents. I've asked uh, Ethan to make some Simple slides up here. So y'all can pay attention. If you get lost, this is where we are. We're dealing with the command. We dealt with the address. We're speaking to children. Now we're going to deal with the command. Obey your parents. Now the root word for this word obey in Greek is the root word is uh, "akuo," which is, if you, if you kind of think about that for a minute, acoustics. It has to do with hearing things. It has to do with listening and if you wanted to connect it to context, to what, what's in front of the root word there, then you realize this word actually means, obey means, to really hear and to do. Okay, not just to, for something to just audible hit your eardrums, but actually to hear it and by really hearing it, to actually do it. I thought I'd just share with you a great example of hearing and doing in this specific obedience, or a, a beautiful picture of obedience. This is in the book of Mark. Just listen to this story and look for who's commanded and who's obedient in this story. Be still, there's the commands, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey, hear, and heed him? I love that picture, that example of something obeying, hearing, and heeding because it's the most unlikely thing when we're talking about wind and sea. And it may feel at times that that might better describe your children and the most unlikely thing that's actually going to hear and heed. But that's the command. Not just receive it audibly, but actually heed it. Like the wind and the sea heeded the command of the Lord. There's a word that's used sort of synonymously later in this passage in verse 2. You may have noted it, the word honor. The word honor means to fix a value, to place a price on. So in some ways, we might consider this word honor means to place of considerable value the notion of father and mother and what they expect of you. All children in the ancient Roman Empire were expected to obey their parents. This isn't just a Christian idea. Okay, All children were expected to obey their parents. Both pagan parents and Jewish parents expected their children to obey. This was something interesting about the Roman context. Romans actually took a lot of pride in the power that a father had, specifically in the home, over his children. Here's what I read about the fathers. The lawgiver of the Romans gave virtually full power to the father over his son. Whether he thought proper to imprison him, to scourge him, to put him in chains, to keep him at work in the fields, or even to put him to death. The Romans took a significant amount of pride in the power that a father had over his kid. The father also had the authority... To decide whether or not a newborn would live or not. That's the context this is being spoken and written into. All of a father's children were under his control, and the mother, on the other hand, had no legal power. I'm imagining how this command must have hit these Romans in Ephesus Obey father and mother, obey your parents. Plural. Obey your parents in the Christian home was a unique command in this context. There is an assumption here that I need to make before I continue because I know that in this room I want to speak about this command briefly. But before I continue, I'm assuming that this command plays out in a Christian home. It was shared in that context, after all. The letter wouldn't have even been heard unless it had been a bunch of Christians gathering around. And the children would not even have heard it unless their Christian mom or dad and mom and and dad brought them to the corporate worship service. So there is something of an assumption here that we're speaking about obedience to Christian Parents. And I realize in this room we have all manner of story where people may be, may be hearing this command and going, Man, I can't obey my mom because she's not even a believer and she's not even acting like it. I can't obey my dad because he's off the reservation and has lost his mind. We're speaking here primarily to homes that have Christian parents. And this command and this expectation is to obey both Parents. Now, there's a room full of people in here that can hear this and can heed this. Children, youth, and young people who are still living at home need to hear this command. Kids, I think, don't obey and respect their moms like they do their dads. Let's just get it out there. Kids, I don't think, obey and respect their moms like I think they do their dads. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can just stop right now and just say a little silent prayer and just thank the good Lord that you haven't been exposed to what the rest of the world has to deal with. If you do know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Lots of kids and lots of youth don't respect lots of moms like they do lots of dads. But the command to obey and honor is to obey and honor both father and mother. Boys, I've got some practice at that. I've got two brothers. Having been a young boy growing up in a home with two brothers and a mom who was doing her best to parent us along with my dad, I've noticed and recognized that boys that are growing into young men have a really hard time taking instruction from their moms. I don't know what it is, maybe it's testosterone, maybe it's just age, maybe it's something that actually is a good thing that pushes them to go out and make a life of their own. But man, when it plays out to where a young man treats his mother disrespectfully and dishonorably, it's not Christian. It's not Christian. And let me give you a little life hack, ladies, for those of you young ladies who aren't married, a little life hack for you. If you're dating a guy that treats his mom dishonorably and disrespectfully, guess what? That's how he's going to treat you. I will make you that promise. That's not a maybe. That's a promise. If you're dating a young man or considering dating a young man who honors and respects and obeys his mom, you're getting a glimpse into the kind of man that he's going to be, the kind of husband he might be someday. Boys are to obey and honor mom and dad. Girls, too, it seems, have great relationships with their dads. I mean, who, who doesn't know that? I mean, the daddy-daughter relationship is something that is almost an idiom. Of course, how close they are. And then, dad, and then moms and daughters, how they struggle Not in every home, but in a lot of relationships, the mom and daughter relationship might best be described as contemptuous. Man, that's not fitting for a Christian home because Christian young girls are called to obey both mom and dad. Christian children are to obey and honor both. As I'm thinking about it and considering uh, this this matter and this, this thing that I lived where I was prone to say some things to my mom and in a tone and in a way that I would never say to my dad. Man, I have to consider this and think about this, that moms, I think, should get the most honor and respect. Man, think about this. Moms got the, the, the hardest job of making you in the first place. Dad's got the easy job. I mean, really, just think about it. When Christy was carrying our kids, especially the first one, this is the front row seat to the first kid, Evan, and, and she's carrying this child, and I'm looking what's happening to her body, and all the other girls are saying, oh, it's so beautiful, it's so beautiful. And I'm going, Lord, thank you for making me a man. that <laughs> I don't have to go through that. Mom's got the hard job, and it doesn't end at the pregnancy, or it doesn't end at the delivery, because then moms have to feed the child. And like in the wee hours, I, she's, she's doing the hard work. She's got the hardest job, in my opinion. I think she's due the most respect, if anything. If we're going to have measures there, instead of treating moms disrespectfully, maybe they should get the most respect. Moms typically spend, not always, but typically spend most of the time, uh, between the two, raising the kids. And doing all the nitty-gritty and daily deal, daily decisions, and things that have to do with raising children. It makes me think of Proverbs 31. You know that Proverbs 31 woman that every woman wants to be? There is a passage in there that, that I think speaks to the way children should, should treat a mom who's giving it her best at being a mom. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed. That's not a reference to what you do when you get out of bed, kids get out of bed and say, hey, mom, you're blessed. That's actually speaking of what you do when mom enters the room. If you're sitting on the couch, you're sitting in a chair, you rise up. You actually stand out of respect for your mom. Now, I'm not commanding you to do that. I'm not saying that's a command either. But that mindset, I think, is very fitting and very appropriate for a room full of children, youth, and young people to treat your moms like they're a treasure See, the problem with this thing that a lot of you can identify with, the problem with this is sometimes dads can be complicit in this because dads kind of enjoy this great relationship that they have with their sons and daughters. But dads, you can help with this problem. For a son or a daughter that treats your wife disrespectfully, you can speak to your children, and when you see them being uncooperative with your wife, when you see them being dismissive with your wife, when you see them being disrespectful with your wife, or they're downright disobedient with your wife, you know what you can remind them of? That she's your wife. Man, I can tell you the number of times. I can't count the number of times where I heard my dad say something and I saw him look in my face and point his finger right in my face and say, son, you speak to my wife again that way and you're going you're to regret it. I can't remember. I probably can't say exactly what was was said, but something to that effect. I was reminded of the primary relationship in the home between the husband and the wife. And my dad said, you don't speak to my wife like that. Man, that's a fitting reminder. Christian children, Christian youth, Christian young people. God commanded you to obey both parents and honor both parents. Now, here's some good reasons. Three reasons that come right out of this passage. First of all, it's the right thing to do. You can see it right there in the first verse of um, Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Hey, let me give you a little flip side picture of what's not right. Uh, the book of Romans gives a pretty detailed description of what lostness And depravity look like. In chapter 1, there's the promise that the wrath of God is unfolding on unrighteousness. Okay, in chapter 1, there's some great descriptors of how and why. For they've traded the truth about God for a lie, and they're worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. So God gives them up. He gives them over. He turns them over to whatever they want so badly. And listen to what unfolds beginning in verse 28 of chapter 1 in the book of Romans. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. We're talking about absolute godlessness here. Listen to how it's described. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Right there embedded right in the middle of this list of stuff that you go, man, this looks like complete godlessness. Because being disobedient to your parents is Godlessness, Christian children, youth, and young people. Hear it. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he's describing what the end times are going to look like. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Do you get it? Do is it is a room full of children and youth and young people going, man, this really matters? How I respond to my mom and my dad really matters. Paul in Colossians added this note, to a really kind of a parallel passage, that obeying and honoring your parents is the right thing to do because it's pleasing to the Lord, is what Paul said in Colossians. So if here's, here's your first reason for obeying and honoring mom and dad. Obey your parents because it's the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. Now here's a second good reason. It's a commandment. It like like really like like a commandment. I'm not talking like figuratively. <laughs> I'm talking and not only that, it made the top 10. And not only that, it made the top 5. You know, there's this thought of this, these two tablets of commandments. you got got the first five on one tablet, and you got the second five on the next tablet. And the first five have to do with the vertical relationship between God and his people. And the second tablet has to do with a lot of horizontal issues, how you treat your neighbor and all that. This made the first tablet having to do with how we relate to God. It is not only a commandment. It made the top five. Man, just let that hit you for a moment. It's not presented as a suggestion. Children, youth, and young people, it is a command from God. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I was in high school, I was probably 14 or so. um, Man, my parents got so dumb. It was amazing. It was like I became brilliant about the time that they became really dumb. (laughs) And it lasted like all the way through high school. I mean, right on into college. I was probably like a freshman or sophomore. My parents were just so dumb. It was crazy. But I was so brilliant. I was almost all-knowing. I'm convinced of it. (laughs) Man. Children and and young people, uh, you might be like me, and you might be in the practice of vetting and filtering What's expected and asked of you, whether it makes sense or not, or whether or not you're going to do it, whether or not you're going to obey it. That's what I did. Let me just remind you of someone who was actually wise, all-wise, and all-knowing in Christ himself who actually submitted to earthly parents. So if you think you've got a case there of maybe being wiser than your parents and being more righteous than your parents, and if you have some reasons why it wouldn't be a good idea to obey your dumb parents, I think Jesus wins. He's got you beat. So just a second really good reason is that it's a commandment. Now, here's a third reason that I think is really a a great carrot. God is so good to help us out with things that are hard, and he's just given us a beautiful carrot here for all of us to obey and honor our parents. See, what I didn't inject earlier on in the service that I think is now a good place to do this, this isn't just for children, youth, and young people. This is for everyone in the room if you have living parents. Because the character and tone of all that we're talking about today applies to how you honor your living parents now. You may not necessarily obey them. I mean, every single thing that they say. Mom told me this week, I was talking on the phone to my mom, and she said, so you and Luke are going to ride 200 miles in a gravel race? I said, that's the plan. She said, no, you're not. (laughs) And I laughed at her. I said, yes, we are. (laughs) But I'm not going to obey that. But I... I do I do honor my mom though. I mean I do, you can ask her. It's true. We laughed, we both laughed, she laughed. No, and I'm not going to do that. But man, honoring and obeying continues on for the rest of your life. And here's the great promise. Here's the carrot. For children, for youth, for young people and for adults with living parents in how you treat those parents is that it'll go well with you and you'll live long in the land. What a great promise. I mean, I'm going to confess I need help with doing the right thing. This is a beautiful help. Now, let me just tell you this. It's not a guarantee. It's kind of a proverbial sort of promise. that if you honor your parents, it is highly likely that things are going to go well for you. And in this case, we're not talking about a specific promised land because it's referring to the, to the commandments. We're talking, in our case, to the earth. We'll live long Uh, It will go well with you, and you'll live long on the earth. Now, let me just offer some ideas about the mechanics of how this might play out. Just the mechanics of obeying your mom and dad, sort of like the gravity, how gravity works. It's pretty consistent. This proverbial sort of promise is going to be pretty consistent. Children who obey their parents, I think, cultivate a life characterized by discipline and structure. Okay? Okay? you're in a good habit of doing what you're told to do because you've had a lifelong practice of it. So you can respect and follow authority since you've been doing it since your earliest days. So you're leadable in the workplace so you can hold down a job. (laughs) Little simple stuff like that. You've learned how to do what you're told to do so then when you get your first job and you're told to make some fries, you're going to make some fries. Let's just start with some really simple mechanical stuff. Generally, too, I think law, you're going to be generally law-abiding because you've learned to respect authority. So you're likely going to obey the laws of the land. So you're probably going to be able to hold down a job. You're probably not going to go to jail. Just small things like that. Children who honor their parents avoid many of the pitfalls of the foolish. Because they don't have that structure and they haven't learned that discipline. From day one, this is a really high probability that this is going to go well for you if you honor and respect and obey both parents. Such a great carrot. I found this Proverbs. It just made me laugh. <laughs> oh, man, it's so good. Proverbs eleven twenty nine. listen to this. Whoever tr- I don't know why it's funny to me, but it's really funny. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind... That's like nothing, okay? The troublemaker at home, just imagine that teen gone wild. I'm not going to do what you said. I'm screaming at mom and dad, treating them like they're a piece of trash. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. Nothing, okay? You got nothing, but here's what it says too. And the fool, which is synonymous with the one that's troubling his own household, will be servant to the wise of heart. Okay, let me just put that in practical terms for you. The troublemaker at home, the one who doesn't obey and honor his parents or her parents, um, will actually work for the guy who did. (laughs) I'm going to say that again because I just want you to get the beauty of that. The troublemaker at home will work for the guy or gal who honored their father and mother. Isn't it just poetic? I just love it. I love it. It makes me laugh too. Those are the mechanics, but I think we've got more going for us than mechanics here. We have a promise from the living God, and he points out it's the first commandment with a promise. I think the best reason honoring and obeying father and mother works out this way, that you have a life where things go well and a life where you live long on the earth is because God didn't uh, just put the physics of it in motion. There's a God who makes promises and a God who keeps and fulfills promises behind this promise. Who sees how you respond to your parents. And hears how you respond to your parents. And knows the heart of your response to your parents. Man, those are three really good reasons to honor and obey mom and dad. Now, For the motivation. The motivation to honor and obey. Some of the motivation comes from the reasons. I mean, I'm thankful for a God that gives us some good reasons. We can be mindful of, well, it'll go well with me if I honor my mom and dad. I'll live long in the land. I'll generally have a pretty good life. I think that's a good carrot. I think it's a, you know, that's a pretty good reason. But I need some motivation. I need something more than a good reason. And he provides it in this passage. And I don't know if you noticed it or not. It's in verse 1. Let me show it to you. And it's really what it's going to lead us into our supper here in a few minutes. And I think it's a fitting place to go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. When I sort of presented that fictitious um, example of the pagan, instruction to the pagan father, I left out a phrase. I don't know if you remember that. Remember that, that fictitious example? instruction to the pagan father see to it that your children obey their their parents for it is right i left something out because that wouldn't have been the motivation in the, in the pagan home in the pagan home someone might obey so they wouldn't be put to death in the jewish home they might obey their parents so they wouldn't be stoned to death but in the christian home man the motivation is simple we're going to do that in the lord See, this phrase, this prepositional phrase modifies the main word or the main verb of obedience. It qualifies how the child or the young person or the youth obeys their parents. They are to obey them in the Lord and could be rendered as to the Lord or as to Christ. The command there for Christian children is um, important. It distinguishes... The pagan child who obeys his parents. Okay? Or the irreligious child who obeys his parents. Or the Jewish child even that obeys his parents. From the Christian child who obeys his parents. So every young person in this room, every child, every youth, every young adult in this room needs to hear that the reason you're being commanded to do this, or the reason you should do it, is you should do it as you are obeying the Lord. And I'm not just talking about in manner that you ought to treat your parents like they're Jesus. I'm talking about you ought to treat your parents and honor and obey your parents as you honor Jesus. It is how you honor Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that I pointed out that there are these two tablets. There's the vertical tablet that has to do with the relationship between God and his people, and then the the horizontal tablet of the commandments that have to do with man-to-man relationships. How you treat your parents made the vertical tablet. Consider that for a moment. How you treat your parents is intertwined and interconnected with how you treat your God. Man, that's why the motivation for you to obey your parents, even when you think you're brilliant and they're dumb, is as to the Lord. You obey them and you honor them as you would and as you are. The Lord. It's how you worship, young people. How you pray and how you sing, man. You can go into all kind of awesome riffs while Clint's leading worship, man. You can have all kind of harmony going, and that's awesome. I think that's great, but that that and that's worship. This is worship too, how you honor and respect your parents. You can give all your money week after week. When the offering plate comes by, you can just take everything that you own, your last penny, and dump it out. And just, mm, that's worship. And how you treat your parents is worship too. Man, they're not unconnected, they're inextricably bound up together. You would be Gnostic to think otherwise. It seems like that comes up every week. You know, the Gnostics believe there's a separation between fleshly stuff and, and, and spiritual stuff. So they did whatever they wanted to do with their bodies, and they just focused on spiritual things. That, that's a false teaching. They are connected. How you treat your parents, how you honor your parents, even a room full of adults, how you honor your parents will impact your life right now. (laughs) And it will connect to your worship. Man, they are bound up and connected. Now, that's going to lead us into our supper. I'm going to share a a passage from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, It's a familiar passage that we read often for our supper. And um, I think it connects to the motivation for us that we do... Um, uh, how we submit to one another, for example. I started this morning in verse 21 of chapter 5 of uh, Ephesians. Submit to one another as we submit to the Lord. Okay, The wife submits to her husband as she submits to the Lord. That's the motivation for us to submit to one another. That's the motivation for the wife is to submit to the Lord as she submits to her husband. And this is the motivation for all that we do. It's what makes us Christian. If you leave here today thinking, man, I want to really obey my parents, I want to honor my parents, but you leave off the in the Lord, then it's nice and all, but it's not worship. I want you to really hear that. But if it's connected to the Lord, even if it fumbles, even if it's frail, even if it's faulty, even if it bobbles, it's worship. And that's why we land every Sunday on our supper. Because we want to make sure that we don't give some sort of teaching, some sort of instruction that leaves off the in the Lord part. Because if we do, then we're just a bunch of um, uh, morally bankrupt people that really aren't worshiping at all. But if we're doing these things in the Lord, it's the difference between worship or not. I'll read our passage, and then we'll distribute the elements. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup... You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, as we distribute the elements here in a moment, I want you to be thinking about this as they're being distributed. Hopefully today we've got a room full of folks from kids to young people to youth to even adults who are thinking, Man, I needed to be reminded of how I treat my parents has to do with how I worship. I want you to connect that intentionally, mindfully, consciously as these elements are distributed. As you take and eat and partake here in a moment, I want you to think about the blessings that we're swimming in and walking in. And what is a fitting response for those blessings? Think about how I introduced the flow of the book of Ephesians this morning. Three chapters full of what God has done for us and then a fitting response. If you disconnect the two, it's not worship. If you connect the two, though, it's worship. So as you take these elements here, think about how this supper, each week as we enjoy a Christ that gave everything for us, as we enjoy his work, how it connects to how you actually live, how you actually move, and ask him to help you connect the two. They're supposed to be connected. All right, let's distribute the elements. That microphone was on while we were singing. That's, that's bad news. To, folks got an earful just now. Um, I'm not a very good faker. I, I'm not. I never have been. I'm, um, I kind of have eight to ten weeks of preaching in me, and then I kind of start to really just get tired. Guys that, that go week after week after week for years, I don't know how they, they do it. I, I'm just not wired that way. And I'm right at the end of a stretch. Um, Scott's going to be preaching these next few weeks. And um, so I can kind of refit and refresh. And um, I got up this morning, I was like, man, just, golly, it's hard to sort of be on it every week. And And I wanted to really be on it this morning. I can't conjure that, though. I'm not a good faker. And um, I had one thing that was encouraging me to press on this morning. I mean, obviously... Knowing that y'all were here, I was going to show up. It wasn't like I wanted to show up. Um, but one thing that was on my mind this morning, when I'm running really low, I mean, on fuel, is I wanted to give some really, really meaningful help to our young people. I don't expect it's going to be like the sermon that, man, my life was transformed to this one sermon. I, that's not what I'm expecting. But I'm hoping, and what I was hoping, the one thing that was hoping that I was sort of drawing on this morning was the thought that it would be something that would would equip you to say, man, things have got to change for me. Or things have to continue if I'm moving well and honoring and obeying mom. But if I'm not, things really have to change for me. And here's why. It's connected to my relationship with the Lord. Those aren't two separate things. I was hoping today that that might happen. So that's my prayer right now. I said, we, we take the supper right now, that we actually are participating in something that can remind all of us that we're connected to this work that Christ accomplished. But it's not external to us. It's not just some data, some, some uh, information. We are inextricably bound up in it, or we're supposed to be, as it is connected to our lives in how a child obeys her parents or her, his parents. In how a young young person responds to his or her mom or dad. In how an adult honors her living parent or his living parent. Those are all connected. Man, I hope today you are equipped with that, with that realization. And I hope today, even if it, knowing it's going to be frail, it's going to be feeble, it's going to be faulty, you're going to stumble. But it will be fueled by, I'm going to do this because I love Jesus. And because Jesus loves me, it's the right thing to do. Man, let's take and eat and enjoy him together. He's the only fuel we've got to do this stuff. Doing it just because, that won't sustain you. Doing it because it's expected of you won't sustain you. Doing it because you love Jesus and because he loves you, that'll sustain you to go the distance. Let's take and drink in faith. Let's continue on in song. Y'all can stand.